Very good morning to you here, there, or in the air, wherever you might be as you're, as you're listening to this. This is the uh, first of a part of the last section of the series that we've been doing on Creed. You remember C for celebrate, R for reaching people with the message of the gospel, E for establishing us all as members of his family, E again for equipping us for maturity in Christ, and then D, deploying for ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. I suppose the series theme could be 2 Thessalonians 1 and 11. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you, you, me, the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And for the next Four weeks, we're going to be looking very practically at how we become deployed for growth in Christ-like service. Firstly, I want you to notice the specific word that's been used here. And we don't actually use it often. It's deployed, not employed. Let's look at the dictionary. Uh, the definition of, of deployed is being arranged strategically in a position of readiness. And in a military sense, it's to spread out your troops in the front line. So being deployed is the first step, if you like, of being put in a position where we may expect to be employed doing something. And so there are two themes running through uh, this series. One is being put in a position of readiness for action. And then the second one is undertaking the action itself. And there are two very crucial aspects and we're going to look today about how Nehemiah rode this remarkable initial wave of opportunity. And in the subsequent messages, we'll see how he turned it into reality. And as we go through the story, I want to make the point that God puts us all in places which are totally unique to us, but with one-off opportunities to make an impact for the kingdom of God that are unique to us. And I, and I'm sure many others of you, can look in your lives in the past at situations where you've worked for years with no seeming opportunities, but all the while building personal credibility. Then suddenly, out of the blue, God gives an opportunity to instigate his purposes. And building credibility takes years but the opportunity can be gone in a moment. And this message is all about being ready to use the position and the contacts that you have that God has made available to you for his purposes. So how do you prepare for that? The good news is that we aren't all called to do everything. Praise the Lord for that. But we are called to do something. And it's often responding to what breaks our heart. Because Nehemiah wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a king. He was a trusted servant. And he'd never been to Jerusalem. And we read in, 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 in the second verse, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Just let me give you some details here. 140 years earlier, in 586 BC, the Babylonians uh, had attacked uh, Jerusalem. They, in fact, attacked it three times. 
but in the final time, in, in 586, they destroyed everything. Everything. The temple, the lot. And they took tens of thousands of people into captivity. And then, around about 50 years later, in 538, the Babylonians were in turn overrun by the Persians. And those who had been carried off to Babylon then got carried off to Susa, uh, which was a long way away. And Nehemiah's relatives were amongst those people. And then, one year into the Persian exile, just one year in, uh, out of the blue, seemingly, the Persians allowed 50,000 Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it. And the new temple was finally dedicated uh, 20 odd years later in 515. And Hanani continues in verse 3 those who survived the exile and are back in the province, that is, have built the wall, are in great trouble and disgrace. Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, its gates have been burned with fire. So now here we are in 445 BC, 70 years after the temple had been rededicated, there was still no wall, no protection, no leadership, and no hope. And it had been easy for Nehemiah to shake off the bad news and say, well, it's a thousand miles away for goodness sake. But chapter 1 verse 4 says he sat down and wept because what he heard in his head went to his heart. And he could have pushed the pain away, but he chose to let it in. What breaks your heart? Is it children that can't read or are abused or neglected? Is it homelessness? Is it people who are a hostage to drugs or trapped in porn or in preventable diseases? Or is it pain and suffering maybe thousands of miles away? Kneel down to pray. If it makes you cry, pray about it. Turn it to prayer. We think, what can I do? Do what Nehemiah did. Invoked the name of the God of heaven. Because I really do believe that what we pray about reflects what we believe about God. If all our prayers, the Lord bless me, bless my lunch, bless the kids, bless Uncle Joe, Auntie, da, 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 and it's all about you and your family, that's not a bad thing to pray. But it does shape how big you think your God is. Is your God big enough to deal with the issues of the world? Is he big enough to reveal his glory through you? Is he good, big enough to stretch you, to empower you, to use you? That's what we need to pray. And what we read here is the first of 12 prayers uh, in, in, this, uh, in this book. So here we have Nehemiah. He's before the king and he's looking sad. And when the king inquired after his health, he could quite easily have passed it off. And nothing would have happened. But he blurted out what was troubling him. And imagine his astonishment when right out of the blue, King Artaxerxes said, so what can I do to help? Isn't that not astonishing? Isn't that not astonishing? And when you study the lives of people who achieve amazing things, you see many aspects, but one of them is favor. Credibility 
built up with somebody who's got the power and willingness to open doors. And Nehemiah needed an army to protect him and resources to enable him to build. And only one person could give him that. And he said to the king, If I've found favor in your sight, send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. And there's four amazing words. And the king did. Isn't that astonishing? 140 years of history being overturned like that. Amazing favor. But having obtained the king's agreement, he was ready at once with what he needed. It wasn't wishy-washy. He was specific. And Lawrence read the the passage in chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, when he lists the things that he needs. He needs letters. He needs kit. He needs equipment. He needs security. He needs all sorts of things. And it says, the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. Now next week we're going to look at some of the practicalities of that. Uh, And you might think that this favor was just a piece of good fortune. That he'd picked a day when the king was in a good mood. But if you do that, you will miss the amazing way that God works through key people in the background. And I want to take you through this timeline to do a little bit of detective work starting with Daniel. So you've got these three invasions in 607, 598 and 586 deportation to Babylon including Daniel. Daniel made a huge impression on the leadership of the Babylonians Uh, and then when they were overrun in 538 Daniel is taken to Susa. And strangely enough, Daniel gets close to Cyrus, the the then king. And the first exiles start to return the following year. Now I suggest to you, is that fluke? Is it a pure chance that they just happened to get that authority the year after Daniel was introduced to the court? Maybe not. And then move forward. Quite a lot of years go by. And then we have the story in the book of Esther, how she basically wins a beauty competition and dethrones the previous queen, uh, Vashti, uh, to be the new king of Xerxes, the new queen, rather, of, of Xerxes. And some years go by, and Artaxerxes becomes the king. Artaxerxes was the third son of Xerxes. If you like, in today's part, he was the spare of the spare. No real expectation that he was going to end up uh, as king. But who was his mother? The Persian name is Amestris. And these people who research these things say the likelihood is that Amestris is a Persian equivalent of Esther. So we have Esther as the mother of Artaxerxes. When Esther was, before she became queen, she was in a position, sorry, when she had just become queen, uh, Mordecai brought to her this threat of a genocide that was planned against the Jews at that time. 
And Mordecai issued these words, who knows that you've been elevated to the palace for such a time as this. You've heard those words before, I guess. And Esther uh, pleaded before the king and the genocide was averted. But sometimes words have a deeper meaning because Mordecai was referring to that genocide which was averted. And Mordecai was subsequently appointed prime minister and the book of Esther ends by saying of the favor and esteem in which he was held. But maybe there was more. Because we don't know for sure that Esther was the mother of Artaxerxes, but it does seem likely. But if so, he grew up in a culture where Esther and her uncle were held in favor. So do you think that that held some sort of part in what's happening now? Why on earth should Nehemiah, a Jewish exile twice removed, end up in one of the most senior positions in the royal court? Who do you think arranged that? And who do you think created a culture around Artaxerxes that he was willing to consider the request that was put before him? We are all in a place, every one of us, for a time and a season. Because when your heart is set on promoting God's kingdom, he'll give you kingdom connections. He'll put you in places where you actually might wonder, how on earth have I got here like that turtle there? And he'll give you opportunities that no one else does. And you ask, so what am I doing here? We all have these platforms where we're deployed for specific purposes. Esther was deployed in bringing up a child that she had no idea would be the ultimate king. And none of us know what is going to happen, the power of influence that our kids are going to have. And those of you that are bringing up a child, the potential is incredible. And who knows that you are bringing up a child for such a time as this, who will change history. And you might do that. Val, as you know, my wife is, is seriously ill. It's something that we would much rather not have. It's a platform that we really don't enjoy. But it's open doors in all sorts of areas. But nothing else could. It's been like an entry ticket because the people that have got Val's disease are in a closed society, if you like. And it's an entry ticket into that society. And we don't know why, what's happening with it. But it's a platform. And we pray that none of you end up with a platform like that. But it's the platform of significance. And as soon as you start to see purpose in where you're at, everything changes. And be aware that your help might not always come from the people you expect, that you agree with, or even like. God used a heathen king to help Nehemiah. He used a penniless widow to feed the prophet Elijah. So don't dictate to God how he can work and who he can and who he can't use. Just pray, work hard, be credible, prepare for favor, expect it. And accept it with thanks when it comes. 
But riding a wave of favor requires you to take your moment. The children of Israel were given one opportunity to enter the promised land when they came out of Egypt. And they ducked out of it. And then they wanted to change their mind, but then it was too late. And that generation were destined to go round and round and round in circles until every one of them had died and the next generation went into the promised land. And you see that happening again and again in the Bible. And sadly, you see it happening again and again in churches where people are given a one-off opportunity and they duck out. And that church goes round and round in circles for years to come until that generation that made that decision have died off and other people take their place. Big opportunities tend to knock only once. So be careful of living a life where your yesterday is more important than your tomorrow. However old you are, tomorrow is the most important day. And riding, riding a wave requires you to take your moment. Sadly, very few people truly fulfill in full their God-given dreams. And maybe you're one of them. Why? Because they never get started. They're always waiting for perfect conditions, perfect timing. You've got to take the plunge. The children of Israel turned down going into the promised land on the first occasion because they wanted perfect conditions. And if you wait for perfect conditions, it will never happen. Fear says, wait. Faith says, go for it. Some want everyone's agreement before they go with their dreams. You'll never get it. We don't read that Nehemiah consulted anyone before he told the king of his dreams of rebuilding Jerusalem. And perhaps it's as well, because you can only imagine what all the naysayers would have come up with. Fear says, get everyone behind you. Faith says, obey the call. And let's be honest, you won't always get it right. And just remember that only those who never try anything never fail. And when you do fail in an honest endeavor, you'll learn from it. And those who matter to you won't mind. And those who do mind, frankly, just don't matter. And some feel so unqualified that they could never do it. God doesn't always qualify, call the qualified, but he does qualify the call. And regardless of your education, your nationality, your gender, God can use you. Fear says, I can't. True. Faith says, God can. True. And Nehemiah had many reasons why he could say, this isn't my call. The conditions were far from perfect. He'd no building qualifications that were aware of. He'd never led soldiers in conflict. There were lots of opposition. He was acting alone, but with the king's support. And that support qualified him. If you've got the support of the Lord, your king, you've got what it takes. And if God started it, the devil can't stop it. Some of you have stopped dreaming. Your life is like these re remaining Jerusalem walls. 
The same word in Hebrew for dreaming and restoration, incidentally. So stop focusing on your reality and start focusing on God's reality. And some of you have got wrong dreams and ambitions. You need something life-changing. Not something just to live on, but to live for. And some of you, your dreams have gone stale, the fire's gone out. Keep the dream alive. If you don't keep it stoked up, it'll go out. Nehemiah didn't get an immediate answer to those prayers. Did you notice at the beginning? It took a while. Keep, keep it burning. And for some, it's a vague dream. You've got to be specific. Habakkuk 2.2, he was told to write things down. Make it fixed. We've got to make our dreams honoring God. Countercultural. Heaven impacting. Seemingly impossible. And where do all these characteristics start? They start at the cross. It's where Jesus defied culture. He gave up the glory of heaven to die on a cross to take the penalty for your sins and for mine. It's where heaven was impacted, meaning that you and I can go there if we accept Christ as our Savior. And it means that impossible things can happen as he fills us with his Holy Spirit and he enables us to live lives that ride the, word, the, the winds of destiny into eternity. Who is it? Everybody's feeling their phone. Who's calling? Who's calling? Is it God on your line? Is God on your line this morning? Is He phoning you up to deploy you? Is that a call for action for you? We'll be looking more at what it means in practice. But for now, are you willing to take God's call? Are you willing to be deployed? To do whatever he asks you in the situation that he's already put you in and will plan to do more if you're willing. Maybe you've a dream that you've been ignoring. You are in a position for such a time as this. Every single one of you for such a time as this. You've got unique connections, unique people, unique situation. You are the common denominator in an awful lot of people's lives. Be it for now or later. Be ready to take your moment. But maybe you've no dreams from God because you're not his child. And you need to know that he loves you, that he cares for you, that Jesus died for you to give you hope for a future, for purpose, for things to do in your life that will impact the world. Meaning, direction. You were never meant to be aimless and purposeless and nine to five and routine of all sorts of day-to-day -day stuff. That's part of it. But what's behind it? Are you up for that this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and those of us that trust in you.
Lord, we just pray that you would make us willing. Lord, we want to tell you that we want to serve you. We want to fulfill your purposes. We want to be ready to take the opportunities that you give us. And Lord, make us ready to spot them and willing to respond. Make us willing to be deployed, to build credibility, to build trust, to work with you for those moments that will be life-impacting and world-changing. And Lord, if we don't know you, we just pray a prayer, maybe something like this. Lord, I just come to you this morning. I pray that you'd forgive me. I pray that you'd take my sins away. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come into my life, that you'd impact me, change me, Lord. Give me purpose and hope and expectation. And Lord, use me for your purposes and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship.